A lot of us have a profile of what we think killers and people who commit crimes look like. We feel like we can read people and quickly decide if someone means us harm or not. And that's not entirely false. But a lot of us get caught up in this idea and we place trust in people who we would not have already assumed were going to be a killer. Because the reality of the matter is this. Everyone can be a killer. Everyone can commit crimes. And sometimes, the people around us are hiding a much darker secret. Just like the Ken and Barbie killers. Hey guys, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and this is episode three of the Ken and Barbie Killers. I wanted to give you a little bit of a refresh on last time. If you remember right, last time we focused on the first two victims that Paul and Carla had. These victims were Carla's younger sister, 14-year-old Tammy, and an unnamed 15-year-old. Um, if we backtrack to Tammy, they had decided that their attempts on getting Tammy to sleep with Paul consensually were not going to happen. They tried a couple different things and it just wasn't happening. So they wanted to then try to get Tammy so blackout drunk she didn't know what was happening, which when that didn't work, Carla decided to drug her and hold a rag of halothane to her face. This in turn made Tammy pass out gave her chemical burns around her mouth and during the sexual assault of Tammy she started to throw up in her sleep and then she actually aspirated and died. They then called the ambulance and told them you know oh we tried to save her when you and I both know that that's probably not the case. And then Paul was literally so distraught about the death of Tammy because they did not want to kill her in the first place and he was just sobbing all the time. Carla started dressing up like Tammy, they had sex on her bed, and then when Paul sort of seemed to get a little better about the loss of Tammy, they moved on um, to this Jane Doe, this unnamed 15-year-old. Um, this unnamed 15-year-old Carla knew from a local pet store. They called her and asked her if she wanted to come hang out. She said yes. This is when they would give her alcohol for the first time mixed with some drugs that would knock her out. Um, Paul would sexually assault but not rape this 15-year-old the first time. They would actually call her back. Um, she would come back later because she had no memory of what happened the first time. And this is where they would once again give her alcohol and drugs and Paul would begin to rape this 15 year old. Um, as you remember from the first episode, Paul was the Scarborough rapist and he was raping a lot of young girls around the town. And then during this raping of this unnamed 15 year old, she started to have breathing difficulties. Um, which scared them. They stopped to call the ambulance and it's kind of all the information we have about this girl. I do believe she survived, which thank God, but it is 
heartbreaking that she has to live with that the rest of her life. Um, and that's kind of where we left it off. We left it off because, you know, that is a little heavy for both of those. It was a heavy episode. Um, and then this time is probably going to be, I mean, it is, it's not probably, it is going to be another heavy episode. And we're going to get into their next two victims, which were Leslie and Kristen. I know that was kind of a really quick recap, but I just kind of wanted to, you know, remind you of what we talked about last week, but not really spend a ton of time on that so we could just get right into this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Uh, First of all, I don't think I said welcome back. So welcome back, everybody. It's great to see you again. Nothing new in my life, just hanging out recording some podcasts so uh, that is allowing us to jump right into episode three of the ken and barbie killers we're gonna start this episode on their third victim whose name was leslie mahaffey now this was only two weeks prior to paul and carlo's wedding because they were not married at this point and it was very shortly after the situation, the rape and the sexual assault of this unnamed 15-year-old that we talked about last time. Because if you remember right, this unnamed 15-year-old was a wedding gift that Carla gifted Paul. So two weeks before the two got married, Paul had decided and talked to Carla about how he wanted to kidnap someone, officially before they were just drugging raping you know sexually assaulting people they were just doing that letting them go right afterwards but paul probably because now at this point he had gotten away with so many rapes he had gotten away with murder he had gotten away with sexual assault so many times he felt like he was invincible and he wanted to get away with kidnapping somebody the two of them would begin looking for somebody that paul could kidnap And unfortunately, this is where Leslie comes in. Like I said, two weeks before their wedding, and actually only six months after the death of Tammy, Paul would spot Leslie outside of her home one night. Leslie was born July 5th, 1976, and was only a ninth grader at the time. The day prior, on June 14th, 1991, Leslie had went to a wake for one of her friends. This was a friend who had actually died in a car accident. Of course, she had friends and other people around her at this wake, and this is when they would decide that they wanted to go into the woods and drink that night. As kind of a way to console each other and to talk about their friend that they had lost, Leslie joined them without necessarily calling and informing her parents what she was doing and her and a couple of her friends had decided to walk her home at about 2 a.m. the next morning. When she arrived because Leslie had missed curfew, her parents had locked her out of the house. She had checked just the side door first, which was locked, and sent her friends away telling them that her parents wouldn't have locked her all the way out and the front door must be unlocked. So she was alone when she pulled on the front door and she realized that she was, in fact, locked out of the home because she had missed her curfew. Her next plan of action was to walk to a payphone and call one of her friends. When this friend answered, she told her the situation and asked if she could spend the night 
the friend told her no and she ended up walking home in the dark to try and get her parents to open the door. This is the time where Paul would see her out front. And I don't want to dog the parents, but it's kind of the situation like with Kiplin Davis, where I think that I don't care what time it was, they should have knocked on all of the doors to try to find their daughter. I don't care how mad you are at your kid, you should never, ever, ever lock them out of the house. That is a recipe for disaster. And unfortunately, there are a lot of kids that have parents that do this, and most of the time it turns out okay. But it didn't for Leslie. Because Paul spotted her, parked his vehicle, and walked up to her. They would have a short conversation, and Leslie would ask Paul if she could bum a cigarette from him. He responded that he did have some in his car, he would gladly give her one, and if she wanted to follow him to the vehicle, he would grab them. She walked up to the vehicle with him, and he would pull a knife on the girl and force her into his running vehicle. When she was in the back of his vehicle, he would tie her up and blindfold her, driving her home to Carla. Here's your trigger warning. Um, Leslie was a ninth grader, she was a child, and this is rough, but we always talk about the nitty gritty on here and we go into everything because it is important because this is real life. When Paul would bring Leslie inside to show Carla, this is unfortunately when Leslie would have to endure terrible things. Like the other times, Carla would pull out a video camera and she would record this incident and sexual assault. This camera picked up some very heartbreaking audios. Paul is quoted in saying a lot of things. Things like, quote unquote, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now you're scoring perfect. And this tape, you guys, goes on and on and on. After this tape went on for a while, it is very evident that Paul began to get a lot more violent and rough with Leslie. She would start to beg him to stop and that she was hurting and she would cry out in pain. And Paul wouldn't listen. Carla also had a hand in the sexual assault and the rape of Leslie as well. The video of the camera would show Leslie being tied up and blindfolded the entire time she was being assaulted. And Leslie probably trying her best to get out of this situation, informed Paul at one point that her blindfold was slipping. This scared Paul, because now this meant that he could not let Leslie go because she has seen him. Paul would then pull out an electrical cord and strangle Leslie. Together, the two of them would pick Leslie up and bring her downstairs into the basement. And they would leave her body there while Carla had family over for dinner the next day. Carla's family ate dinner with a dead body laying under the floorboards of their own daughter's home. 
once the dinner wrapped up and the family left. Carla and Paul had decided it was time to dismember Leslie's body. Because obviously they couldn't call 911 on this girl and claim an accident, it was very, very clearly not an accident. So using a circular saw, they cut up the body of Leslie and came up with a plan. They decided they were going to drop her in a nearby lake, but they knew, because it is kind of common sense, that bodies float, body parts float. They build up gas inside and they float to the top. So Paul decided to go to one of the local hardware stores and bought bags and bags of concrete. The couple together would make this concrete and saturate the body parts in it. Once these were solid and dried, they drove to that nearby lake and they dumped her body in it. At this point, it was clear that Leslie was missing and they had begun a search for her to try to find where Leslie went. But they didn't find her in the lake, at least not yet. And two weeks after they murdered Leslie, on June 29th, 1991, Paul and Carla would officially get married. What was supposed to be the happiest day of the couple's life was also one of the scariest, because that same day, Leslie's body parts would be found in that lake. Because a couple that was actually paddling above the lake would pull up a large chunk of concrete. Curiosity struck them and they cracked it open. And this is where they found a body part. The police quickly got involved. And they would pull up chunk after chunk of Leslie's body, easily identifying her by her dental records and finally ruling out the idea that Leslie just ran away. But unfortunately, just like Tammy, Paul and Carla got away with it, at least for a while. Because 10 months after they murdered and disposed of Leslie's body, they kidnapped their next victim, Kristen French. Now, Kristen French was about the same age that Leslie was, and she was only 15 years old. Paul and Carla were driving around looking at the young girls and talking about them when they would spot Kristen walking through a church parking lot on her way home alone on April 16, 1992. They decided that she was going to be their next victim, and they drove up to her. Since Carla wasn't involved in this kidnapping, she was the one that got out. This is because for some reason, males are more feared than females are. So when a woman walks up to you, you are less likely to be scared or nervous about them. Whereas if a male walked up to you, that is a little more scary. Carla, after exiting the vehicle and holding up a map to Kristen, would inform her that they were lost and they needed some help. And if she lived around here, if they could please help her. Kristen decided that she was going to be helpful and walked towards Carla and looked at the map in her hands. This is when Paul would jump out of the vehicle and hold a knife to Kristen 
and force her into the vehicle. When she was in, they sped off with her. Right off the bat, her family knew that something was wrong. Now, Kristen had a routine, which usually routines are not a good thing. I mean, even I'm somebody who doesn't hold a routine. If I go to my parents' house, there's five, six different ways I can drive to their house. I usually drive a different way every single time because I am paranoid, you know that, and worried that somebody might be following me, trying to find out my routine. I don't leave the house at the same time every day when I go somewhere. I plan different times of the day to do things than... You know what I mean? I don't hold a routine. But in Kristen's case, this immediately rose red flags in her family's eyes. Because it only took Kristen 15 minutes to walk home every day. And immediately when she would get home, she always took the same route, she would care for her dog. But she never arrived home. And when that 15 minutes was long over, her parents called the police and informed them something bad had happened and that they immediately knew something was wrong because this was not like Kristen and she had a set routine. Thank God the police believed them and they would quickly get into an investigation as to where Kristen went. Now, even though Kristen was alone in this parking lot, I say that, but she wasn't. Kristen was alone herself. She was walking alone. She didn't have a lot of people around her, but there were other people in this parking lot that witnessed what had happened. The police found these people, talked to these people, knew that Kristen had been taken by someone. They even found one of her shoes in the parking lot that had gotten knocked off in the process of her getting into the vehicle. So right away, this might sound like, oh my God, we can find her. But even though there was a lot of witnesses to it, they didn't have a license plate number. They didn't know who these people were. So they knew something had happened, yes, but they needed to try to find these people with very, very little information. And unfortunately, it would take about two weeks to find out what had happened to Kristen and to find out who did this to her. Paul and Carla would keep Kristen alive for three days. During her time with Paul and Carla, she would get regularly sexually assaulted and raped. They also would make her do a variety of different things, like force her to dress up in a schoolgirl uniform that would match one that Carla had. These two would wear them together and almost do a role play situation for Paul. They would also force this young girl to drink a ton of alcohol to help keep her vulnerable. And they would beat her, obviously. Kristen had sustained multiple bruises and multiple burns from cigarettes. And later, when they questioned them, Paul would talk about how Carla loved to beat Kristen with a rubber mallet. They didn't blindfold Kristen this time. They didn't have any intent on leaving her alive when they picked her up. And when the two got bored of Kristen, they would wrap an electrical cord around her neck and strangle her. 
right before they left for an Easter dinner. Once she was dead and they finished their dinner, Carla decided that she was going to cut all of Kristen's hair off. And then because the previous body had been found and nobody linked it back to them, they decided that they could get away with just dumping Kristen in a ditch and leaving her there to be found. She was found, but not until 11 days after she was dumped, naked and beaten up. Now, if we go back to Leslie, remember Leslie was covered in concrete and dumped in water. This water did wash away a lot of the evidence on her, unfortunately, which is one of the reasons why they did not pin her to Paul and Carla yet. Kristen, however, because they were careless and just dumped her body, would be able to be swapped for DNA. And when they inputted this DNA in their system, it flagged some other sexual assaults. I say others, but in reality, the DNA of Paul flagged up 13 other unsolved rapes of women and young teenagers. These assaults happened in Scarborough. The man, because at this time they didn't know there was two of them, who had murdered Kristen was the Scarborough rapist. Now, if we go back to all of these rapes, the stories of all these girls were the same, which is why they're able to link them all as one person. Every single one of these women and teenagers would be attacked from behind. They would then be forced into an isolated area by knife point. All of these victims were under the age of 21, so it was obvious that he liked younger victims, and Kristen was 15. So at this point, they knew that the Scarborough rapist was responsible for at least this murder. And remember, all of those girls and women that would have gotten raped by the Scarborough rapist all saw his face. Which meant now they have DNA for him to match him to a murder and they already have a sketch. And they did suspect Paul. Now they had questioned Paul a couple times about these rapes, but he always managed to get out of it because of his charm and because they didn't have a lot of information other than he looked kind of like the sketch. But now they had DNA. So they called Paul up again. Paul was unaware that they had found Kristen and gotten a DNA sample. And they brought him back in when they questioned him again about these rapes. They also then asked him for a DNA sample, which he happily gave because Paul felt like he was on top of the world at this point. He didn't think anything could catch him. And the authorities did solidify this idea in Paul's mind because they did not get around to testing that DNA sample until eight months later in December of 1992. But we're gonna talk about that next time. Next time will be the final episode of the Ken and Barbie Killers. And that will be about their downfall and their trial. I'll see you next week. 
There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.